tides. Damn it! Fucking damn it! I, I'm getting nowhere with this. Just this fucking bullshit. Are they even trying? Hi, this is Dr. Uris, and I'm doing my best to talk to aliens with sonar. And it's not working. If they can fix my sub, they can at least send a dictionary, or so you'd think. A dictionary, of course, is written by someone with understanding of both languages, which obviously we don't have one of those. At best, they could give me a audio equivalent of the Voyager record, but even then, that is something that's a lot easier to make and shoot into space than try to decipher it when it lands in your backyard. I've got no reference point, and without a dialogue back and forth with a willing and helpful native speaker, I literally cannot translate what they're saying. There is no way to do this. I think. I'm not a linguist. What do slugs talk about anyway? Their signals almost certainly evolved in response to predators, like the birds. That drove the development of an interconnected network, but the jump from that to actual language is a big one. Early hominids probably developed a variety of calls in response to environment, like, there's a predator. That's the type of predator. I'm here, please fuck off. I'm here, please fuck me, etc. It's hard to conceptualize what the Snailians would need to pass information about other than that very simple stuff. Birds, weather, etc. The point is, monkeys give calls, and that's not language. Maybe this is as pointless as trying to speak monkey. I think I need to step away from this. The sun is pretty hot still. About as hot as the previous solar maximum, though. Uh, And now I I see the other danger that's slowly but surely creeping towards me. Eventually, Volturnus will cover the sun, and it's going to get chilly over here. I wish I could catch this sunshine in a bucket, build a reservoir of it, but some things can't be hoarded, only experienced as they come. Huh. The sky looks a little different in the horizon, a darker shade of blue. Clouds are moving in. High, high up, I can see silhouettes of a few birds heading towards the continent. I'm, I'm a little anxious because I just sent off a detailed report to the captain and I'm wondering how he'll react. Huh. Could go either way. Might as well stare up at the sky or down at the sea. Oh. Uh, actually, there's something by the waterline. Just a second. It's a freaking shell. One of those little flat-bottom boat ones that I saw before. The creature inside is dead. Dead and abandoned. Poor guy. The tide is lowering, the water flowing back out to sea. There's a lot of stuff being dragged along with it. Refuse, dead fish, a lot of floating organisms like plants and jellies that have weak locomotion and the fish tend to feed on. Some of these are getting stuck in the rocks themselves and wriggling their tiny little cilia around trying to free themselves. 
The waves are rougher today. Choppy. Down at the very edge of the water, worm-like things dive headfirst into the sand, a small roiling wave between the bigger ones. They're, they're burrowing down, anticipating the drought to come. Interestingly, a few squeaks are here as well, hiding a bit beneath the water and behind rocks. They seem to be perfectly adapted to breathing and moving in water as well as dry land. Their funny little stock eyes poke up just above the surface to stare at me. It's a little creepy. Ignoring them, I think I'm going to try following the water down as it recedes, but first, this dead surfer is a great opportunity, if a smelling one. Ever have crab go bad in your fridge? This is much, much worse. I wanted to get a sample of the nerve tissue of one of the higher order organisms per the request of Stevens, and I have a few vials on me. I, I may turn the recording off, though. I think this is about to get gnarly. Is this a nerve? Hmm, maybe. I'm just gonna take a couple of pieces from both sides, and maybe I'll, uh... Hello? Huh. Oh, 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 what? Oh, Captain, uh, hey, c can we talk later? Very funny, Dr. Euros. We need to talk now. Um, about what? About what? About that message you sent. About the contact scenario. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'd call it that. Well, I sure as hell don't know what to call it. That's what you all are for. I just fly the ship. And currently, none of you are being very helpful in elucidating the situation. Uh, I mean, are we, though? For first contact with sentient life, I mean, I look look at us. We represent biology, physics, geology, with a handful of experience in various subcategories, none of which include linguistics or, for the love of God, politics. We're, we're not ambassadors. In fact, not a single part of our training prepared us in any sense of the word for encountering intelligent life. So why is that, by the way? Did, did Telus have a reason to send us in unprepared? Because we didn't think there was truly intelligent life out there, I guess. Or it was unlikely enough that it wasn't part of the standard protocol. Don't don't you know anything about language? Uh, no, not really. I can talk to you about Broca and Wernicke, but I don't know anything resembling linguistics. And that seems like a glaring oversight, given that getting it wrong even a single time could have extreme consequences. Well, see, this is why we need to talk and figure out what we can and can't do in this scenario. And there's something else. Standard protocol is one thing. As commanding officer, I have access to higher protocols. And what are those, Captain? The secret self-destruct codes? Uh, who to get rid of first if we're running out of air? Uh, I really can't say. Uh, oh my god. Here's the deal. The TELUS initiative actually does send each deep space mission with specific procedures for encountering intelligent aliens. I know I've read them before on other missions, just out of curiosity. Well... I read parts of them. They were long and extremely detailed, including over a dozen potential scenarios, pulling from the knowledge and theories of hundreds of experts. But when I tried to look them up in our computer after I got your message, guess what I found? A single text document and a single paragraph that can be summed up with, collect data from a distance, and for the love of God, don't engage. Wait. What? Are, are you serious? This is supposed to be a strictly hands-off mission, it seems. Minimally invasive. Uh, 
I I see. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally, totally minimally invasive. But what worries me is that they would have left the other parts in as usual if they didn't expect to find anything. One of the early probes might have picked up something and tipped them off. Did, did you notice anything on our sensors? Anything unusual while in orbit? I, I wasn't paying attention. I was too busy mapping out the area. Uh, stuff like weird signals and anything like that? I don't know. There was too much interference, which isn't really conducive to the aliens using radio when you think about it. Uh, I'm not sure about that. We seem to be doing okay. Uh, surprisingly well, in fact, despite the delay. It could have also been through indirect means. Uh, the composition of the atmosphere, photos of the surface. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't briefed on anything like that. I tried to get an explanation on the quantum communicator, but TELUS isn't answering right now. It's not like we can have bad reception on that, so I think they might still be trying to figure out what to do about it. What do you think they're going to do about it? I don't know. And Dr. Uris, you're not going to like this, but I don't necessarily think it matters. What are you even talking about? It very fucking much matters, Captain. In the long run, sure it does. But for right now, I need you to focus on surviving. That's plenty hard enough already. Whatever else is going on is not your problem. It's above your pay grade anyway. Like you said, you aren't trained for anything like this. You're the biologist. Collect samples and do your whole biology, philosophy thing. Look, Captain, I... So I want you to spend the next few weeks on that rock, not running around squishing alien eggs or fighting tentacle monsters and stay away from whatever that sub is. Got it? I, no, I, I don't, I don't got it. Dr. Gurus, I, don't got I it, wasn't Captain. asking. I am not going to sit on a rock a dozen yards away from the biggest discovery in the history of mankind and twiddle my thumbs. That is ridiculous. I'm not just saying this because that's what's written in the protocols. Sometimes you have to take care of yourself, not just for yourself. I don't want you to die down there. Not under my command, and I need you to not be taking stupid risks and being captured and experimented on by aliens and getting your brain scooped out. Wait, Captain, do, do you seriously think that they're going to try and scoop out my brains? Do you think that's a reasonable thing to be worried about, really? I don't know! I, I'm getting more and more paranoid with every missing piece of information and unforeseen circumstance that pops up on this mission like a shitty whack-a-mole where the moles start trying to talk to you and you have to decide whether it's ethical to whack them or not. And you're not helping by contradicting me. Captain, listen to me. Yes, I'm listening. You said I could dictate the direction of my research. Yeah, I guess I did. And that's what I'm going to do. That's final. Yeah, I guess you are. I admit it's hard to tell you what to do from this far away. Yeah, it is. And I'm glad we're on the same page, if not the same celestial body. Fred, I just want you to be safe. I can't predict what's going to happen here, and I don't know what those creatures intend. Obviously, I can't stop you from trying to contact them. Just try not to be stupid about it, okay? Oh, come on, Captain. You know me better than that. I do. You know I have to say it, though. Do you, though? Do you really? Yes, I do. <sighs> Fine. 
Go ahead before we lose the signal. Dr. Winifred Urin, I order you to... <laughs> Guess I'll never know what he was going to say. Alright, now. Where was I? Alright, uh, down below the rocks now, and the tide's fully out. I stored what's left of the surfer back in my camp, so it's time to set up. <clears throat> There's one. I want to get all the major junctures, as well as have at least a couple of near individual outlying shells, I think. Imagine it kind of like extracellular recording, inserting electrodes to measure electrical activity in nerve tissue, but not sticking them directly into the neuron itself. Sticking holes in things is generally bad because it shortens the time you can study them. Or uh, think of it as an EEG. Gently placing electrodes on the outside of the skull to record what's happening beneath. But without the weird goo that gets in your hair, though. At least, not currently. The shells are silent, none reacting to my presence or trying to drive me away. The squeogs, though, they're still following me. I realized I haven't given them a full description. They're the steely gray color, lighter on top and darker towards the end of their appendages. Their bodies are small, the, the size of a large cat, with the nexus of at least 15, maybe 20 thick tentacles. Two of those end in rudimentary eyes, little black dots that stare at me with very obvious dislike. Alright, one more, and I know where I want it to go. Uh, Squeogs are boneless like so many other things here, but perhaps because of the lower gravity, this doesn't impede on them as much on dry land as you'd probably think. They're strong enough to hold themselves up from the ground and move fluidly, if disturbingly, on at least six tentacles at a time, but often more. They don't seem to have mouths, but I saw a few dig up something from the sand and handle it in their tentacles in obvious feeding behavior. Their barely visible bodies seem to be made out of a rougher texture than the limbs. They must also have some sort of gills somewhere, being amphibious, unless, unless they breathe through their skin, but that's unlikely for a creature that size. Alright, here we are. Hey there, Bob. You're looking healthy. I suspect you might be able to hear my voice. The group as a whole seems to know it's me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to get this close and make this much noise. You put in a good word for me, didn't you, bud? Whoa! Oh, oh. Huh. Nice to, uh, see you again? Well, your shell, at least. That's quite enough for me, though. Thanks. You're an ugly son of a bitch. <sighs> anyway, here's the last stake. I think putting it into the shell itself is a bad idea for Bob's health, and even placing it right against the shell might freak him out a bit because of the noise. So I'm going to... 
put it about there. Okay, uh, an inch and a half off. What, what the? Ah, get off me! Get off me! God damn it, you stupid mother! Oh my god, fuck you! Fuck all y'all dipshits, you! You want me? I'll punt squid left and right all motherfucking day if I have to, calamari assholes. <coughs> oh shit! <coughs> oh god, that particular fucker needs a name. It reminds me, I had, I had an ex with this dog named Nate. A yellow lab, very typical dog. He was fine for most of the time that I dated the guy. I even petted him sometimes, and he seemed to tolerate that. But but then one time the ex left us alone in his apartment, and he was just sitting there, and I was looking at him, wondering what was going on in his mind, simpler than my own, yet still fascinatingly independent and inscrutable. But then he turned his head from staring into the middle distance with his tongue lolling out. He, he turned his head and he saw me, really saw me. And something changed as our eyes met. And he regarded me with something like intelligence. And then he started barking. And I have never been so surprised and frightened in my life. I've encountered large carnivores in the wild, what few of them are left by now, but... A bear never felt the same way that he understood me, that he didn't like the way that I was regarding him. I knew better than to look an animal in the eyes like that, but I did it anyway because I was observing, not interacting, or, or so I thought. I challenged him and Nate said, oh, hell no, and put me in my place. And that's why you don't look an animal in the eyes, especially one that doesn't know you well. Dogs will look away most of the time, concede your victory if they think you're more dominant in that situation, and in this case, I was not. Oh, um, ugh, I, this cold breeze sprung up just now. Ugh. Good for clearing the air, at least. This is a long way to say that that was just wild, and now that I'm not all pumped up on adrenaline, I'm thinking about that mutual relationship having each other's backs, even though their species are obviously not related. Uh, completely different body plans. I, I think the squeogs even have some sort of rasps that they use for feeding at the ends of their tentacles based on what Nate was trying to do to my leg. Snailians make vibrations by scratching their beaks and somehow using their sensory appendages to modulate it, primarily meant to be conducted through the shells or their connections. Squeogs instead vocalize and use air conduction of sound, even though I can't exactly tell where it's coming from. But I think the two species also talk to each other in a limited way, the way like cats do to humans. Anyway, thankfully Bob interceded in the only way that he could, luckily not enough to kill me. I've just been lightly chlorinated, but I managed to hold my breath and run away fast enough. My eyes, though, are still running. Thanks, Bob. I found something else on the outskirts of the village. I, I noticed that the pattern of tendrils converges to this one shell, bigger and older than the rest, but clearly occupied and not like their food storage shell. 
a single very thick tendril runs from this one to a lump of ceramic material, too, too small for someone to live in. This lump resists any efforts by me to decipher it. But it connects to an even thicker tendril that drives down deep into the ground in the direction away from the village towards the north. It, it doesn't vibrate like the others, though. It might be my imagination, but I think it gives off a very high-pitched noise, like power lines. It's not power lines, though. They don't seem to use electricity in the village itself, it, but sound conduction between different communities might be difficult and unreliable, requiring a different method of passing signals, maybe even electrical ones. I, I think that... Oh. Oh. Um, sorry, I just... I looked at the sky and... Oh boy, um, I better get back to the shelter soon. There's, there's a black and angry mass of clouds gathering to the west, shot through with bolts of lightning that I haven't heard yet, thankfully. My first Fonzian storm. I need to... Oh, damn, um, I, I have to get back to the sub, which is, of course, all the way at the top of the rocks right now. So I'm signing off for now. Wish me luck. Tides was written by Jesse Shushu and directed by Jesse Shushu and Ayla Taylor. It was produced by Ayla Taylor with assistance from Renee Sima and edited by Michaela Elias. Special thanks to Dana Patel. This episode features the voices of Julia Shafini as Winifred Uris and Zach Labresca as Captain Ed Ricketts. You can find us online on our website, tidespodcast.com, and follow us on Tumblr and Twitter at tidespodcast. If you like our show and would like to help us keep making it, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash tidespodcast. This month, we would like to recommend Primordial Deep, a science fiction action thriller by the creator Viennis Descending. When a long extinct sea creature washes up on the shores of Coney Island, marine biologist Dr. Maria Morgan is contacted by a secret organization to investigate the origins of the creature's sudden and unnatural resurgence. But there are dangers in these ancient waters. It is masterfully sound designed by our very own Julia Shafini. And now... This is Captain Ricketts, and this is a ship rule. Star Trek and Smoothie Night is mandatory. No exceptions. <laughs>